Amen. If you would join me in your Bible in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, that's where we'll be uh, studying today, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you want to use the Bible that's there in the pew, uh, that is toward the end of the Bible, towards the end of your New Testament. Uh, this week, uh, I went to lunch and I ran into the director of 4 Evansville, just by chance. And that's an organization that looks to help churches uh, serve the greater Evansville area uh, better. And he was telling me about a recent study that had been released by the Welburn Baptist Foundation. They had done a survey of people who live in Warwick County, Vanderburgh County, and Henderson County about their faith. And he was telling me that that survey revealed that 86% of people in those counties, in our, our area, identify themselves as Christians. And that statistic was a little disorienting uh, for me because this, this week we started this Alpha. Alpha courses are designed for people who don't identify as Christians, who don't identify as believers. Um, and so we're offering these courses in a place where only 14% of people identify as a non-believer. But that statistic, that 86% identify as believer. That statistic doesn't tell us that 86% of people in our area are believers or are Christians or that they are people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It only tells us that they are people who identify as Christian. You see, there's no survey that can reveal what, what percentage of people are actually in relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm the pastor here at this church, and I, I can't even know that. In fact, Scripture tells us that on the last day, there will be people who will be surprised to learn that they are not a Christian. And they will tell the Lord, they will say, but we have done this or that in your name. And the list is a list of things that if you and I saw those things, we would say, surely, Surely that person is a Christian based on the things that we can see. Based on the things that we see. You see, one of the misconceptions that I want to tackle in my introduction this morning is that we often think that being a Christian is a result of doing good deeds or a result of not doing bad deeds. That being a Christian is this title we earn because we do these things and we don't do those things. We do these good things that good people do and we don't do these bad things that bad people do. And because we have this list of rules that we keep, we can consider ourselves a Christian. But faith, Christianity, a relationship with God is not the result of good deeds. Many people think they're Christian because they keep to a list of rules. Faith is not the result of good deeds. The other misconception that I think lends itself toward that being the statistic here in our area, in the Midwest, in southern Indiana, on the Kentucky line, is that many people consider themselves to be a Christian just as they consider themselves to be Caucasian or white or Hispanic that it's a trait that they have inherited because their parents and grandparents were Christians, they're Christians. It's more of a marker of their background than it is anything 
else. Uh, each Christmas, when I'm back in Virginia Beach, I like to stop uh, at a couple of surf shops that are at the oceanfront while I'm in town. And the fact that I only stop at these surf shops in December uh, gives you kind of an indication. I don't get to surf much. I don't get to spend a lot of time at the beach when it's ideal weather. I'm there in December. And sometimes I go and it's just me. Sometimes I go, the kids were with me. They were with us this past time that I had the opportunity to go. And the kids said, Dad, why do you always come here? Now, what's in that question is, Dad, why are you always buying surf shop t-shirts and they've never seen me at the beach? We've only been at the beach a handful of times since they've been born. Because I don't know if you guys know this, there's not one here in Indiana. There's not a place to go. And so they don't really understand. Why does dad identify with this when this isn't really something he does? And I was trying to answer them when Nicole, my wife, spoke for me and said, it's because it's dad's childhood. It's nostalgia. That's really it. It's, it's my roots. It's something that I, I want to remain connected to, that I can remember when I was a teenager and I was broke and I would go to the beach all of the time and I didn't have money to stop in the surf shop and buy merch. Now I have a couple bucks to buy a t-shirt, even though I don't get to go to the beach. I get to connect to my past. And so, if you see me wearing a sweatshirt that has a surf shop on it, it is really more of an indicator of my background than it is of who I am today. It's the same reason that people wear camouflage on days that they're not headed into the woods, right? They're not trying to hide in the mall, right? But it's, it's a marker of what they're interested in or their background. This morning, I want you to see that faith is not the result of good deeds, and faith is not an inherited trait or this nostalgic identity or this interest. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. It's not inherited. It's not the result of good deeds. That's what we'll see in our text this morning. So join me in reading 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren 
nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even unto blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, I think, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, this tent, this temporary holding for my soul, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things even after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Faith is possible because God has made it so. Peter starts this letter by identifying himself. He says, I'm Simon Peter, the apostle, and he writes to the people that have obtained like precious faith. He identifies himself and he identifies the people he's sending the letter to. And these are believers he's writing to. And I don't mean just the type who have checked a box on a survey sent out by a foundation that they're a Christian. You see, these people, to identify themselves as Christians in that context, 2,000 years ago, in the surrounding area of Jerusalem and Israel, these Jewish people who had dispersed into other places, these people, for them to identify as a Christian would be to put their life in danger. These people, for them to identify as a Christian, would mean that some of their family members would write them off as if they had died. Some of them becoming a Christian, their family would hold a funeral to mourn their death because they would no longer see them as a part of the family. These were people who would have their families disown them or their jobs fire them because they called themselves a Christian. In Peter's day, you didn't call yourself a Christian unless you were really a Christian. It was more than checking a box on a survey. It was something that could put your life at risk. Part of the reason that so many people identify as Christians who don't have a relationship with God in our culture is that it's really pretty easy. Actually, in some ways, in our culture, it's easier to say you're a Christian than not. Because if you say that you're not a Christian, suddenly every Baptist church has got a target on your back and we're coming for you, right? Right? You, you tell people at work you're not a Christian, then that Christian guy is going to try to talk to you about faith every week, right? And so for some people in our culture, it's just easier. I'm just going to say I'm a Christian. Just, you know, just save me some headache, Okay? Not only is it easier, when it's easy, we don't really have to go through the work of determining who we are and what we believe. Alpha, the course that we're currently offering, 
uh, that is, is designed for, for unbelievers, for people who don't identify as Christians. It was, it was written and it started in England. And the culture in England is very different from the culture here. And I don't just mean that we have better food than them or that we say different words for parts of the car. I mean that the culture there is different, that it is not customary or convenient to identify yourself as a Christian. You're the cultural outsider if you're the Christian. And so there, many people, they don't think about calling themselves a Christian because why would they? Here, it's just super convenient. Right now, it's, it's, it's January. So everybody's got some resolutions that this is going to be the year that you lose that weight. And right now, there's a lot of people signing up for gyms, right? They're going to go three times. And then they're going to keep paying that membership for the next four years, right? Now, when I was in college, I signed up for a gym, okay? And then I moved away from that gym, and I continued to pay for that gym for years, not because I didn't think about it or didn't, it was expensive. But it took an act of Congress to cancel that gym membership. I had to send them my new address and prove that there were no gyms like theirs near me that I could transfer my membership to. And they found one that was just inside the 30-mile limit. It was only 28 miles away, and I couldn't cancel my membership for that reason. 20 years ago, it was really hard to cancel membership. Nowadays, on the outside of gyms, what does it say? No contract. Cancel any time. And they've also lowered the price. And they've lowered the price so much... It's so cheap that the model now is not, yeah, sign up a kid in college and make him like get a lawyer to cancel it. The model is sign up everybody, only charge them 10 bucks a month, and they won't want to go through the trouble of telling themselves that they never went. And they'll just keep paying. It's only 10 bucks. I'm not going to worry about it. Christianity is somewhat easy in our culture that we don't really have to examine it. We don't have to really ask ourselves, is this what I believe? And because Christianity is something that so many people in our culture take the label of, you can live just like everybody else because everybody else is a Christian. It doesn't have to be any different. It's super convenient. In our cultural moment, calling yourself a Christian costs nothing which leads to people calling themselves a Christian out of convenience. Now, here at Faith Church, the last thing we want to do is make it hard to become a Christian. All right? Like, that would be a pretty bad strategy, right? Like, let's just make it really hard to follow Jesus, right? But we also don't want anyone to think that it's something you can be merely done out of convenience. Peter is writing to followers of Jesus who have had to have count the cost they would have had to make hard choices to follow Christ. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that though it was difficult, though it was hard, and though it was, it was a cause for persecution, that because they chose that hard thing, this doesn't mean that they get the credit for their faith. Because Peter makes it clear in this passage that their faith is a gift. Let's look at those verses again. Verse 1. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 
verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Faith isn't something that you can earn through your good deeds. And faith isn't something that you put on as easy as a t-shirt because you can't make it. You can't create it. You can't earn it. Only God can do that. He earned the gift that he has given you of faith through his righteousness. Something absolutely incredible happened this past Monday. Um, During the Monday night football game, player is hit directly in the chest. He hops up and then immediately collapses. And when DeMar Hamlin went down, everyone initially thought of it's one of those football injuries because people get injured playing football. Lincoln and I were building one of his new Lego sets that he got for Christmas at the kitchen table. The game was on in the background. This thing happened and we just continued building Legos. They cut to commercial and they come back and the broadcaster says they've been doing CPR. And when I heard the term CPR, I looked up from what I was doing because this was clearly different. This was a different type of injury. This wasn't just his knee went out. This wasn't that he got knocked senseless. This was cardiac arrest. And they were performing CPR. CPR, that because the medical personnel realized so quickly that he needed it and began to give it to him immediately, saved his life. But do you know what CPR stands for? CPR stands for cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It means your heart has stopped, your lungs aren't breathing, and you are resuscitated. Now, last week we talked about signs, vital signs. I talked about, remember, I talked about if I, if I, like, collapsed, hopefully you'd come and check on me, right? And you'd check my vital signs. DeMar Hamlin didn't have any of those vital signs, so they performed compressions on his chest so that it would pump blood with oxygen in it to his brain so that his brain could then begin to tell his lungs to breathe. If they had not performed CPR, if they had not performed those chest compressions to get that blood to his brain so that his brain could then tell his heart and his lungs to keep breathing, he would have died. The only reason that he is living today, and it's just incredible, the story that has unfolded over the past week, that he is now now breathing on his own, that he's he's had a phone call uh, with his teammates, he's doing well. The only reason he is alive today is because an outside force stepped in on Monday night in that critical moment. He was dead. But an outside force brought him back to life. You know what scripture teaches us? Scripture teaches us that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That we are unable to save ourselves just as a dead person cannot save themselves. There had to be an outside force. And Jesus Christ and his righteousness is that outside force that comes into our lives and rescues us. It's a gift because it's not in us. It is this outside force. It's not in us. It's a gift and it's no small gift. It's an incredible thing. It's serious. It's more than life-saving. It's soul-saving and life changing 
Now, it's been really interesting to see the response from the sports community this week. That evening, there were broadcasters on TV who suddenly it was no longer about which quarterback is going to be the MVP of this game or of the season or who's going to make playoff spots, right? Suddenly it was like, who cares about this game? Cancel this game. The players cannot continue because they've watched their friend, their teammate, undergo CPR, which communicates to all of us, he is dead. His life is hanging in the balance. Suddenly none of that mattered, and broadcasters on television begin to lead in spoken prayer in that moment. Today, yesterday and today, all of the NFL games are going to start with the players meeting at the middle of the field, bowing on their knees and thanking God in heaven that that player survived. Why? Because everyone recognizes it is no small thing. It is a miracle that he is alive. And everyone is responding with gratitude at this gift of life. When we recognize that it is not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God, when we recognize that we were dead and our trespasses and sin, that there was no way that we could save ourselves, but God stepped in and rescued us. He resuscitated us. He started our hearts spiritually. When we recognize that, we are moved to thank Him, to live with gratitude and give Him thanks. And suddenly all the things that mattered before don't matter as much now. The seriousness of the matter moves us to respond with gratitude. Peter says, in this passage, if God has given you the gift of faith, do something with it. He says, God has given you faith, add to that faith. Verse 5 says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue, knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. And your self-control, perseverance, patience, perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. You've been given this great gift. Do something with it. Now, maybe you're here and you say, oh, I can't do that because I don't really believe. I don't have faith. I can't add to my faith because I don't have any. If, if that's you and you're here today, let, let me just say a, a, something to encourage you. I want you to be encouraged that it's not in you to create faith. You can't create faith, but you can find it. You can accept it. God has made it possible for you to have it. He wants you to have it. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I want to believe, but I just don't have it, it's not in you to make it happen. God gives it to you. It's a gift. And I also want you to be encouraged that you already have some faith. You do. Right now you're sitting on a pew. I don't even know who made that, that pew. But you're sitting on it. You sat on it. You didn't. I mean, I don't think I saw anybody inspect them this morning. Right? You, you had some faith. And every day you open up drinks from gas stations. Gas stations are sketchy. And you open up a drink and you drink it. Right? Um, you get in a vehicle that was made at some plant by a guy that none of us have ever met. And you take medicine that was put together by a pharmacist that 
Maybe you know your pharmacist. I don't know mine. Right? And I'm going to bet that you have never gone back into the pharmacy and said, let me see all your credentials. Right? You've never gone to the gas station and say, I need to see the log of the last time you cleaned the ice machine. Right? You're driving that Ford and you believe in Ford, but you've never walked through the plant and met any of the people that do the welding on those frames. Right? Jesus says to you, come and see. Try me. I, I will show you all of my credentials. I am not scared of any question that you have. Come and see. I will open it all up to you. You, you have reason to believe. You have reason to trust me. Come and see. And he's not scared of any question that you might have. And so this faith that you operate on every day, that you use in your everyday life, if you can use that faith to trust people that you've never met, I want you to think about this, okay? Today, when you get into your car, whether you drive or you're a passenger, you're going to pass people that are driving in the opposite direction. And you don't know if they have a license. You don't know if they're looking at their phone. It takes faith to get in the car and drive home today. It took faith for you to get in the car and come to church today. It took faith for you to walk in the door today. We appreciate that. And if you can have that faith, I think that if you'll investigate Jesus, he'll only give you more and more reason to believe. Just two chapters later in this letter, in chapter 3, Peter talks about, you know, there's some people that say, is Jesus really going to come back? Because it's been a while now, right? And Peter's writing this 2,000 years ago. And there were already people who were wondering, what's taking Jesus so long to come back? And Peter says the reason that he hasn't come back is not because he's slack concerning his promises. It's because he so desperately wants everyone to come to faith. That all men might come to repentance. God wants you to have faith so much that he's orchestrating the time and events of heaven around it. And he's willing for you to take a look at whatever it is that you need to take a look at for whatever you need to investigate. Be encouraged. God has not only made it possible, and he's not only opened up all things that you might investigate, he has given you reason to believe as well. The life of Jesus was a life of integrity. And God's word is one that is written with integrity. And we're going to look at that in the weeks to come. But also know, He's not only afraid, unafraid of your questions, he is not offended by your doubt. He's not offended by your doubt. He doesn't find your lack of faith disturbing. He doesn't get upset at how small your faith is. He, he said of himself, fulfilling a prophecy, quoting a prophecy, that a bruised reed he doesn't break, and a smoldering wick he does not snuff out. And what that means is, is that if you come to him broken and with hardly any faith, he doesn't push you aside and say, hey, this is varsity. Hey, only the real serious people come to me. 
He welcomes you in your crippled and broken state and nurses your faith to strength. There's this beautiful moment in the Gospels where Jesus has slipped away to spend some time in prayer like he often did. And when he's coming back from this time of prayer, there's, there's a hubbub. You know what a hubbub is, right? It's like there's a lot of noise. Everybody's anxious. You know, we walk in the room and kind of sense like everybody was just having an argument, right? Everybody's at, you know, everybody's tense. And Jesus walks up and it's tense. And Jesus goes, what's going on? And the disciples are there and there's a crowd of people around and they're all speaking and they're murmuring. And there's a man there and he says, he says Jesus, my son, he's got this condition and and he falls a lot, and sometimes he, he falls into water, and sometimes he falls in, into fire, and it's dangerous. And I brought him here today, and I was hoping that your disciples could heal him, but they couldn't. And so while Jesus is the way, away, this man brings his son to the church, to the disciples, hoping that they can make him well. And while everybody's watching, the disciples are like, we're ready for this. And they, and they can't. Jesus would tell them later that this was a hard case. That, that only fasting and prayer could bring it about. It was a hard thing. And so Jesus looks at the man in this moment and he says, well, do you have faith? And the man responds and he says, and I feel like you can hear the, the, the desperation in his response. Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. He wants his son to be well, but he knows that there's a lack of faith on his part. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus heals this child. And friend, I want you to know that the Jesus who could heal the child is also able to bolster your faith, to strengthen your faith to show you what you need to see, to believe. And so if you come to him broken, desperate, like a candle that's about to burn out, like a flower that's been trodden on and is bent over on the ground, that he is able to give you faith, to strengthen your faith. When Peter wrote this to these people, he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Precious faith. This faith that we are given, it is indeed precious. And maybe you're here and you identify with that father. I want you to know that God is able and willing to give you that precious faith. All you need to do today is respond like that father did. God, I, I want to believe. But I, I got questions. God, I, I want to believe, but some of it, I, I just don't know. If you come to him, he'll help your unbelief. He's willing. He's able. Now, if you're here and you have faith, you are a believer, you should be adding to that faith 
virtue. And to that virtue, self-control. And to that self-control, patience. And to that patience, brotherly kindness. And to that kindness, love. Peter says, I'm about to die, but I'm not going to stop reminding you of what Jesus did so that your faith is stirred up. And even after I'm gone, I'm putting things in place so you're still reminded even after I'm dead what Jesus has done. Because the last thing I want is for you to forget what Jesus did for you. Don't you forget what Jesus did for you. But then he talks about people who did forget. He says, he who lacks these things, he who lacks all the things that I mentioned, the, the virtue, the patience, the self-control, the brotherly kindness, the love. If you lack these things, you're short-sighted, even to the point of blindness, and you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your sins. Peter's saying, listen, this really happened. We weren't fooled by cunningly devised fables. We saw this with our own eyes. We watched Jesus die and raise again from the dead. And we know that that same resurrection power that raised him from the dead is able to call us out of our spiritual deadness and raise us to life. We know that he has forgiven us of our sins and has given us righteousness, which we could have never earned on our own. He has given us that precious gift. Don't forget about it. Be reminded today what God has done for you. And I believe that if you are reminded, then you will be stirred, you will be grateful, and you will want to add to your faith virtue and patience and self-control and love. You know what Peter's saying? Peter's saying, if you lack these things, you've forgotten you're a Christian. Not, not that you wouldn't identify as a Christian. Not if somebody asked you, you wouldn't say you were a Christian, but you've forgotten what it really is to be a Christian. You've forgotten what it really is to be cleansed of your sins. Because if you're cleansed of your sins, you want these things. You want to respond to what the Lord has done for you. May it not be said of faith church that we are people who have forgotten what Jesus did for us. In the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus walked up this mountain and sat down, and then his people came to him. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that I can drive my car here, and I can get out and just walk in. It's pretty great. I'm glad that every time we come to church, I don't have to walk up a mountain. Jesus went to the top of a mountain, and everybody who made the trek up the mountain, they got to hear this sermon. And he laid out on that mountain, he laid out this completely different way of life that was completely opposite to the way that everyone else lives. It was, it was a way of love and unselfishness. It was a way of, of unanxiousness. It was a way of peace. It was a way of when everyone else is fighting, we're making peace. It was a completely different way of life. And Jesus said in that sermon that people who live this way, that they will be like salt and light. I don't know about you, but I like salt. Some of you right now, you're trying to eat healthy in the new year, and you're eating without salt, and I'm sorry. I'm trying, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight, um, so I'm eating less calories, but the calories I'm eating... They're salted. 
Salt adds flavor. It makes it taste good. Salt also has preserving characteristics. It's a good thing. We're thankful for it. And Christians who live like the Sermon on the Mount, who live this completely different way, who live this way that Peter is talking about with virtue and self-control and patience and love, they're people you want in your life. Light. Light gives us the ability to see. Helps us know what's in front of us. Light's a good thing. Light can be seen from a way off. And when believers live like they're supposed to live, it's a light to everyone around them. It shows who Christ is. Our culture has forgotten what a Christian is. Doesn't know what a real Christian is. And most people in our culture... Even people who identify as a Christian don't know a real Christian who lives like the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you guys know this, but here in southern Indiana, and I don't know if it's just a Midwest thing, but what you call a stromboli is not what we call a stromboli in the East. The stromboli in the East is like a big thing of dough with cheese wrapped in the middle of it. I wasn't a fan of them. And so when I moved here, people would talk about strombolis or stroms. Stroms from Pizza King. And I lived here for years and I never got one because when I heard stromboli, I was thinking of the strombolis back east that I didn't really like. But then I went to some event and someone had brought stroms from Pizza King and I didn't call it a, a strom. I was like, well, this is like a pizza sandwich. And I had one, and oh my word, it was amazing. <laughs> and now I love a strom from Pizza King. You know what needed to happen? I needed to taste one. I, I needed to f- see what a Midwest strom was. Not this picture I had in my mind from the East Coast. All around us, there are people that they think they know what a Christian is. It's a person who votes a certain way. It's a person who doesn't do these things, does do these things. Most people aren't attracted to Christianity because they've never interacted with a real one. one whose life has been dramatically transformed. And if you're here today and you don't have faith, I'm sorry that we have not been saltier. I'm sorry that we haven't been brighter. But thankfully, when the followers of Jesus fail you, Jesus can come through clutch like he did for that father. And around you, there's Christians today and we're imperfect. But Jesus is the real deal. And he desires for you to have faith. And if you'll pursue him and in spite of me and in spite of us,
I don't think you'll be disappointed. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. This morning, in response to the message, I'm going to invite you to, to pray. And if you're here and you don't have faith, you might not know what to pray. And conveniently today, we've got a song that would work great as a prayer for you. And so after I pray, I'm just going to ask you to remain there in your seat and take some time in prayer. And if you don't know what to pray, you can pray along to this song that's being sung. You can use the lyrics of this song as your prayer. If you're here and you're a believer... Peter has charged us here to add to our faith. What are we adding to our faith? How are we growing now? How will we grow in this coming year? How will we become more like Christ so that our lives, our church, our families are a salt and a light in this community? Father, I ask that you would work mightily in our hearts, that you would bring about transformation. Lord, for the broken and desperate here today, may they know that they can come to you and that you welcome them and you strengthen their faith. For the believer here, may they be reminded this morning what you have done for them the grace that you have poured upon them. May it come back to them in a fresh, new way today so that they are challenged, they are convicted to add to their faith virtue. Lord, may we be a light. We pray this in your name.